Hi everyone, this is Dennis with another episode of Shiv Valley, a show about Sheffield startups. It's been a very exciting week as I've been in touch with more and more people regarding Shiv Valley, which makes me very happy and most importantly, the word is getting out there. As you know, the purpose of this podcast is to increase the connectedness within our ecosystem and to give another platform to local entrepreneurs and startup hubs. Today's episode is with the founders of Food Circle Supermarket. James and Paul started the Surplus Food online supermarket a few years ago and with the boost around COVID are now ready to scale up to the next level. James and Paul are an interesting pair of co-founders, very different but matching each other's skills nicely. Shiv Valley is supported by Sheffield Technology Parks thanks to Tom, Rose and the rest of the organization for helping me keep delivering episodes. Make sure you stay until the end of this show as I want to make an announcement about Shiv Valley. And now, enjoy the episode. I'm here with Paul and James from Food Circle Supermarkets. How are you today, guys? Very well, thank you. How are you, Dennis Love? Really good, thanks. Yeah, not too bad. As I told you right, right before we started, I'm after my night shift, so just enjoying a bit of rest and uh, yeah. actually talking to people about something that's not my job, which, uh, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice break for you, isn't it? Yeah. For sure. I, I wonder how, how you feel, because, you know, you're doing a podcast and it's about your job. So in the time that you're getting rest from your job, you're again talking about your jobs and about your business. Yeah, we have guests on our podcast as well, like yourself. So we do get to talk about other people's businesses some of the time, which is good. It gives us a nice break and gives us a few ideas as well, actually. So, so yeah, podcasts are enjoyable to do, I think. We've only done a few of them, but we, mm. we always enjoy it. So, But it's we've got the pressure, not sorry, we've not got the pressure of uh, hosting today. So uh, mm. looking forward to answering your questions. Yeah, no, it's nice to have the roles reversed, isn't it? For yeah. us, this is good. We actually did a... On, we did a couple of episodes this week. One was a Q&A from customers, like they sent in questions on Instagram. Matt, myself and James recorded it. I answered them on Sunday. And then we did a like an interview one yesterday with a really interesting guy called Andy Needham, who's actually quite sort of, he's big in the business world in Sheffield. So he might be one, one for you, but and we interviewed him for you know, two and a half hours and he was just talking about his life, really. It was good. So that actually, <clears throat> and that was at work. So it was a nice break from work yeah, in a way. Yeah. No, that, no, that's, good. A, that's a good point. And by the way, uh, just to let the listeners know, your podcast is called Business Life. People can find it on Spotify. Can they find it uh, anywhere else? Everywhere. Yeah. yeah, it should be on most of the main platforms. It's on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that you'd expect, I think. So, uh, yeah. And YouTube so, as well. Okay, so Business Life by Food Turkey Supermarket. I'll put the link in the, in the episode's notes if people want to find oh, it. Thank, thank you, appreciate thank you. that. So guys, I want to ask you to tell me a bit about yourselves prior to starting Food Circle Supermarket. Okay, I'll I'll kick off first. This is Paul, by the way, for listeners. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm 20, well, I'm 30 in June, just to give you an idea about my age. Um, born and bred in Sheffield, sort of bang average at school. Didn't really enjoy school, to be honest with you. Went straight into work after sixth form. Sixth form was a disaster, to be quite honest with you. Worked first. Well, first job was actually working in Morrison's, and I did. I little did I know I'd end up back in food and drink. You know, twelve, thirteen years later. But we'll get to that. Packed school uniforms at a company in. Well, it's not there anymore. It wasn't a company in Westfield near where I live in Sheffield. Worked in the warehouse there for like two years when I was nineteen, twenty. Then decided I do. I really enjoy business because sort of that first full time job. Just didn't bother with you and he went straight into that. I got to learn. You, you learn on the job, don't you? So I was like getting involved in warehouse, getting involved in supply chain and found it interesting. I thought I want to run a, my own business one day similar to this. And yeah, so I thought I need to go to college and university. Decided to study business at Huddersfield Uni. After going to college to up my grades to get me in there because I did rubbish at school and did like jobs at uni like a kitchen and bathroom showroom sales at wix you know customer facing stuff which actually look at at the time it seems a bit boring and stuff but you actually learn a lot about uh, customers and customer service and all that sort of thing and an early introduction to sales in uh, kitchen and bathroom sales we used to get commission if you you know grab someone who was looking at a bathroom book them in for a meeting with one of the advisors and then they ended up buying the kitchen, you'd get like 200 quid, which was great actually, especially in sales season in, in the winter. And then after uni, did business and finance at uni, 
got a graduate job at a place called Company Shop Limited in Tankersley through a graduate scheme, is which is where I met James back in 2014 now. So, yeah, and then I don't want to overlap uh, with James here because it'll be a similar story from here, won't it? Because that's yeah. where we met. Yeah, so I'll I'll go back and then get, get to where Paul got to, really. So I took a slightly different route, kind of probably a bit more conventional, actually. Born and bred in Doncaster, which is not too far away from Sheffield. I actually did pretty well at school and sort of focused on the academic side of it and went through the fairly typical route these days of you know, going through school, GCSEs, A-levels, and then going straight to university. And I actually studied a history degree at uni. And part of me didn't really want to go to uni, but I thought because I'd done well at school, I kind of uh, owed it to myself and didn't want to waste that opportunity. So I went off to uni, did history at uni, really enjoyed the course, actually. Massively enjoyed it at Sheffield Hallam. So that's when I first sort of got to know Sheffield, really. So I did that, did pretty well. And then sort of six months before I finished uni, I started to think to myself, well, what am I going to do now after this? <laughs> like with the history degree, because um, it's not really mapped out for you. It's not like an accountancy degree or, a, you know, IT science. degree or something like that or a science. Yeah, it's more kind of open ended. So I went through a bit of a phase of sort of moping around a bit, thinking I don't actually know what I'm going to do with my life after this, not knowing that actually by the age of 20, 21, you don't have to have everything sussed out and it's fine. <laughs> So I got to the end of uni and started applying for jobs. I sort of thought if I can get my foot in the door in a sort of commercial enterprise in some kind of, you know, role that will challenge me a little bit and put me out of my comfort zone, then that'll be a good starting point for my career and get me going. So I applied for several jobs through the graduate scheme that Paul's just mentioned in Sheffield, which is still going actually. And it's a really good scheme that people should check out if they're uh, at uni and they want a job in, in the Sheffield area afterwards. It's called the RISE scheme. R-I-S-E, and they run that a couple of times a year and they basically put you through your paces and then you get selected at the end if you've if you've gone through those sort of like interviews and those tasks that they set you and uh, put you in, in for interviews at the job that you've applied for. So I did that, ended up getting a job at Company Shop, which is where I met Paul. And actually we, we had like a bit of an induction day for the RISE graduate scheme where I didn't know that the that company shop had hired two of us. Me neither. They didn't tell me. Um, so we got to this graduate, this kind of induction day, and Paul's. We had to all had to stand up and introduce ourselves. And Paul said, "I'm, I'm Paul Paul Simpson. I'm going to work at Company Shop um, in business development." <laughs> and my first thought was, "Is this has something gone wrong here?" I like because I thought I had that job, and now he's just stood up and said he's got it. So I thought they'd made a mistake and they'd offered it to me by accident when they didn't mean to or something like that. But thankfully, they decided to hire two of us. So me and Paul kind of started at the same time, which was a big help for me because when I got to company shop, you know, I'd done a history degree. I did do business at A-level, so I had a bit of a grounding in sort of the commercial world and how business works, but only on a very theoretical basis. So when I got to company shop, it was a bit like, whoa, I'd not not had the, the experience that Paul had in the workplace. So... Yeah. I was a bit of a fish out of water and actually following, you know, sort of being there at the same time as Paul and being there together in the same boat really yeah. helped me because he had more experience than me and sort of took to it probably a little bit easier than I did. And it helped me to kind of, you know, sort of have someone at that same level to kind of not compare myself to, but sort of just work work my way up with, if you like. So I did that. I did quite well at Company Shop. We were working in business development together, generated quite a lot of good leads for the business brought on some big big clients for, for company shops such as Boots and Morrisons and Warburton's Warburton's sure. GSK uh, was one of yours several yeah. you know a lot of big brands in food and drink and and gro- grocery if you like and then about three years into our roles at company shop Paul sort of approached me and said sort of handed him my notice I want to leave and start a business and I sort of started helping him on that a little bit on the side, kind of just giving my thoughts on it, really. And then he approached me and said, would you like to uh, Would you like to go into business? I need a co-founder. Mm. Are you interested in joining? So I thought about it for a couple of days, and then I decided, well, at the time I was, what, 24, I think? And I thought, well, if I don't take this opportunity now while I've got, you know, not many responsibilities in life, you know, nothing to lose, really. No then mortgage. I'm never, you yeah. Know, yeah, no mortgage, you know, all that sort of stuff. Then I thought, if I don't take this opportunity now, I'm never going to take it, so... I went for it. You know, we, we saved up some money, both left our jobs and, and started the business from 
nothing really. Uh, a couple of grand we put in each of our own savings and that was it. We lived off the rest of our savings for about a year after that while the business sort of had a really slow start and then and then thankfully started to gather pace. So Paul was the main instigator specifically of the idea. He was the one that I that approached you. How how did you come up with the idea, Paul? What was what was your case? You know, what was the problem that you wanted to solve? And also tell me a bit more about this this first yeah. you know few months or even the first year of your business. Yeah, yeah. So just to give to provide a bit of context, it's important what company shop do because that's where we got inspiration for the ideas. <clears throat> so co- company shops are one of the biggest surplus food retailers in the UK. So to, to paint the picture very quickly and easily, you, you go in there, it's like a Costco, so you have to swipe a card to go in. And it's like a supermarket, there's chilled, ambient, frozen sections, but it's all uh, dead cheap. So I remember going for my interview, walking in there and thinking, this place is unbelievable. It's like, you've got Morrison's own label next to Waitrose, next to Asda, Ready Meals, and it's all half price from the Hyde Street retail. So straight away, I was like, this is this is just ridiculous. Obviously, then, whilst we worked our way up the business, just learned the food and drink industry inside out, surplus food industry in particular, because we bought surplus food for the company shop for them to sell. So then polished, you know, ways of doing business and uh, sales and business development to, you know, a degree where I was like, I want to start my own business. It's just like, it was like a natural, it just came on naturally. And anyone listening to this at the start of the company, who will know what I mean where I said I couldn't I couldn't really help it it was like it wasn't a question what am I going to do this it was what will I do and when it, I, there was no no real decision to be made the only decision to be made is what will the business be and when will I do it it wasn't oh, do I do it do I not so it was sort of like a natural thing I had to do and I was thinking what shall I do and I thought it was on it was like December 2016 I thought New Year's resolution, I'm going to take a week off work in the first week of January. My New Year's resolution is to leave full-time work and, and start a business. So I've, I've, I've booked a week off. <laughs> that raised the eyebrows, I've got to say, at work. Booking a week off straight after the Christmas break. <laughs> booked a week off in January 2017 and uh, sat in my mum and dad's uh, study and started writing a business plan. Um, and I thought that... The the answer was in front of me. It was surplus food and, and finding a solution for something I already knew because I, I couldn't really be bothered to think of something new and uh, like learn something new and start a business in it. I thought that'd be a bit risky. So I should really st- stick to what I know. So I thought it needs to be in surplus food. And I was like, well, it, I could do like a surplus food middleman sort of business where I buy surplus from a big brand, you know, in pallets <laughs> and then store it somewhere and then sell it to a retailer in in Bulgaria or a discounter in, you know, I don't know, Tunisia or whatever. And then I thought, I hadn't got a warehouse. It all seemed a bit clunky. It was a bit, it's not that I couldn't get that excited by it. So I used to travel down to Portsmouth a lot for personal life. And what I one day was driving my way back home, it just hit me. Why not create a retailer out of it? So be like one of the first, we're not the first online surplus food retailer, but one of the first surplus food retailer online where you can buy surplus food at a half price of what you normally can. I knew we'd be capable of doing that because that's what we did for a job. We just won't have as much money to buy stock with. And I thought we need an, uh, we need to start somewhere. We, we need some products to start with. We can't just do everything. So somehow I ended up thinking, it need, why not healthy foods like gluten-free, vegan, protein, because they're in demand and they're expensive. They're like the most expensive products in retailers. So I, I thought I'm capable of buying stock and then selling at half price. So it wouldn't it be amazing if you could live healthy for less whilst stopping food from going to waste. And then it sort of formed then, started writing the business plan, which I hated doing because I hate writing stuff like really big documents. I think that's where I came That's where I came in. Yeah, <laughs> that's where James came in because I was like, oh, this, is, oh, this is painful. So I said to James, like, can you read this and see if it what what you think? And yeah, and then that's when I said the le- James really liked it. So was, I was like, right, well, there was there's a piece of uh, advice from a guy called Paul Graham, who is runs something called the Y Combinator in San Francisco. They helped Airbnb and stuff. Yeah. I remember watching a talk, and he said the the number one rule for starting a, your own business is to get a co-founder. 
And it's, it's so true. It's like, it's ridiculously true. You said, if you don't, you need to, if you, if you don't know someone, you need to find someone. Otherwise it's not, your business isn't going to make it. So I've thought about that. And so I thought, well, it's just obvious. I worked with James for three years, worked fine, no problems. It so makes after, sense. So after he'd called all his other friends, yeah. he came to me. <laughs> after I got to the bottom of the list, I scraped the barrel. <laughs> I had to ask James. <laughs> Actually, it's very interesting that you're mentioning Paul Graham because well, you, you said you just said something uh, that you knew that you were going to build a business. You just didn't know what exactly it would be and when it would yeah. be. And so when you said that, I was thinking that I'm going to mention something from Paul Graham that I remember. He, I, I listened to, to a podcast about him once, and I remember that also one of the things he really propels is that you shouldn't be thinking of starting a business. You should be thinking of, of a problem and then form your mm. business around it. Would you say there is like a better or worse attitude you could, you could have towards it? Because I got to be honest, I also... I'm also kind of like you, you know, I have the, I have the vision that I want to start my own business, but then because of what's, what I listened to Paul Graham said, I have kind of slowed myself down and I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to push it, how to say it, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to post it, push myself into building a business just for the sake of it, but I'm actually waiting for the problem that's going to really, as you said, it, it's not going to be a question of whether, whether or not, but it's going to be a question of how. So do you think there's a better attitude about building a business, should you be completely uh, convinced that you're going to build a business, or should you wait for that idea? I don't. I don't think you should wait. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I mean, like we, I was reasonably lucky in the fact I was working in an industry where there was a problem, and it didn't hit me straight away. I started looking for ways I could solve a problem in the industry that I know really well. And I would argue that you have started a business by doing a podcast. It might not be a business now in terms of like ROI, but it will be if you keep doing it all the time. And doing something you love as well. So if you, I don't know, if you, this is a, just an example. If you were a big fan of CSK, Sofia, Bulgarian mm-hmm. football team, yeah, and you are obsessed, you could you could make a podcast about that's aimed at CSK, Sofia fans in England, like yeah. Bulgarian community. Really, just go into it. Then all of a sudden, you're building up a business in something that you love. You didn't go, "Oh, let's find a solution." You just thought, "I really love this. Let's why don't I build something around it?" You could do a podcast. You could do, you could do all sorts. Um, so I think people should look at what they really enjoy doing as well. I really enjoy sales, so I'm not like we started out with vegan and, and gluten free products. I don't love vegan. I'm not vegan. I'm not celiac. I didn't buy loads of protein bars and stuff, but I love sales and I love building a business. So you need to enjoy it as well. If you find, if you figure out a problem, like people go, my invention's a see-through toaster or something like that. Oh, that's a good business idea. But if, you, if you're not really that bothered about it, then it's, it's not going to work. You need to be really into it. Do you know what I mean? So I think, I think it's, it's, you can look at it both ways, if that makes sense. Are you a fan of CSK, Sophia? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Now I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, oh, really, I'm a Liverpool fan as well. Oh, really? Oh, good. Excellent. Well, there you go. You could you could do you know Bulgarian. I'm sure there probably is one actually, but you know Bulgarian Liverpool supporters club stuff. You know, you know what I mean. Just an example. Yeah. For people yeah. that can't can't see this, I'm a Doncaster Rovers yeah. supporter. I'm just holding up my mug there. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about sales. So I I have to tell you that uh, I will be becoming a customer of you of Turku supermarket because I have been trying to eat more more healthy, but I also love snacking. But when I go to a shop and there's literally, there's not a big choice of, of something that I can eat, which is small, but it's also not other shit, you know, which is not bad for me. Obviously, the other, the other reason is even if it's good for me, it's quite expensive. So basically, I fit really, really well into your, into your ideal customer. So I want to ask yeah. you about your sales process. What's your target market? What's your ideal customer? And how do you attract your customers? Well, you take that one, mate. Yeah, so, so in terms of how we attract people, um, the big sort of light bulb moment for us about eight months into our business where we were, we were sort of struggling, really, for sales is when we started to do paid, paid social media advertising. And I don't know if you know of Gary Vaynerchuk. Yep. Um, but he like talks about this a lot where social media, especially Facebook advertising, is is like ridiculously well priced for the, the value and the return that you get if you get if you get it right. So we we sort of listened to that and 
kind of not as a last resort, but we were kind of struggling. So we thought, let's just let's just put everything into this and, and try it. So that's how, that's how we attract people. But from then on, obviously, you've got to you've got to convert people as well. SEO is actually a big factor for us as well because we've kind of tried to optimize our website as best we can for SEO and mm. the certain terms on Google search where we're pretty high up now. And that's that's a big asset for us as a business. And it took us a while to get there, actually. But we do get quite a lot of organic kind of reach through that. But yeah, in terms of the sales process, I think in e-commerce, I think it's all about people don't have long attention spans. So I think it's about getting people into a position where they're going to convert as easily as you as you possibly can, basically. And that's about how you lay things out. It's about not having too much in the way of kind of landing page or something that's not actually sales focused you've got to get people to the point of adding something to their basket or looking like they're going to check out kind of as soon as you can really i think and i think that's that's a key part of what we do so if you go on our website the first thing you'll see below our menu is like a banner of what we want to draw people's attention to we try and put really good creative on there that looks appealing to the eye if you like you know product pictures and things like that and it's got information in there about costs and, and and deals and you know offers that we do and things like that yeah and it's all about getting people's you know raising people's interest in in the product straight away really so our homepage, if you scroll down it's then got like blocks of products yeah. on there straight away there's not you know whilst we do want to tell our story and what we're all about that's on a, on a different page because the point of e-commerce is is to get people to co- to convert basically so I'd say that's our process, but you know, there's certain things on there that are aimed towards retention and, and making sure that people do get from being interested to conversion. And, and that's the key. I think our conversion rate is really good. And I think that's partly driven by the, the, the price uh, because our price offering is a, a big reason why a lot of our customers shop. But I think kind of not by accident, and I'm not saying that we're like the world experts on this and that we do it better than anybody else, but I think we have got a website that we've kind of managed to lay out quite well in terms of that journey from uh, com- first coming onto our page to checking out. So, yeah, hope that answers your question. Oh, target target customer as well. You asked about that, didn't you? Yeah. So I think our, our sort of demographic is, you've, you've sort of just helped us out by mm. describing it yourself, really. It's ordinary people that want to either eat because they've got a, a particular kind of lifestyle or because they're looking for healthier alternatives. I think they're the main two things really. So the main core of our audience tends to be your sort of everyday kind of gym goers. So people who are in the gym, I don't know, three, four, five times a week when they're actually open or, you know, a runners or, you know, a cyclists or whatever it might be who need those on the go products to keep them, to keep them going during their activity and their exercise I think that's the main bulk of our of our customers. We've got people on the periphery that will buy different products like breakfast products or meal pots that we sell or stuff like that as well. But I think the core of it is that or people that love snacking like yourself, mm-hmm. but they see that probably if they're eating a Mars bar or a Snickers bar every day, that's got quite a lot of fat in it. They might want, want to, and a lot of sugar. They might want to look for an alternative to that, which is, higher in protein, lower in sugar and fat, and just gives them a better overall kind of nutrient balance, if you like. So, yeah, I think they're the sort of people that we target. They tend to be, you know, people between, I would say, 18 and probably 35, but there's there's variance to that as well because it's not just people between 18 and 35 that like to exercise and eat healthy. So I would say in general that tends to be our our sort of main, main demographic, really. What about your operations? Could you just expand on the question a little bit more? Yeah, so what I mean is, let's say that I go to your website, I, I make an order. Do you store all of your items uh, or do you work with external contractors in terms of storing uh, all of your all of your surplus food? And uh, then do you do the, your own deliveries? What is, the, what is the time between my order and the time I, I get it delivered? Okay, yeah, so we we deal with most of that process ourselves here. So you can see our office behind us, but downstairs we've got a warehouse that's got all of our products in it. We've got a small team here, which we're expanding at the minute to get those orders ready for people. So, you know, picking and packing and 
operations and storing the products and stuff like that is all handled by us. And we we basically handle everything up to the point of where it leaves our door and then it goes on its journey to its to the customer via couriers, basically. So we we handle everything from getting the stock right up to the point where it leaves our our front door and then and then it's on its way to people's doorsteps. So uh, we have a company nearby that distributes all our parcels out to to couriers because we've got a few different couriers that we work with and there's a company here that kind of amalgamates all that for us and then the likes of Hermes and DHL take all our parcels out and and deliver to people all across the UK and and well as was before Europe but unfortunately Brexit's Mm. interrupted that a little bit. How much more difficult did it make it? Can you work with with European, can you deliver to European countries at all now? Not at uh, the moment, no. No, we've had to we've had to pause it, unfortunately, which is not something that we wanted to do. Especially with we've got quite a, a good customer base in the Republic of Ireland that we were just really starting to build up, and it's really disappointing actually because uh, we've been completely hampered by it in the fact that it's not it's not really uh, down to us, although we are struggling with some of the processes. It's a, a lot of it is down to the couriers who also can't can't sort of cope with it and can't handle it. So if you think about companies like DHL and DPD and Hermes, who are huge kind of companies struggling to to adapt to it, yeah. then you know kind of smaller businesses are, are going to struggle as well. Yeah. So yeah, they've they've basically kind of shut down their services or reduced them a lot while they get used to the the new requirements. So yeah, unfortunately, it's it's something that's kind of really I don't know. What's the word? It's not taken us all by surprise, but I think because the kind of deal that got done was so late in the day before the kind of Brexit deadline, it's kind of left everybody a little bit caught out, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is universal because so many businesses were being affected and uh, so many things I read on Twitter. And, you know, I don't want to get all political, but in the end of the day, you just ask yourself, do do, do the positives from that deal outweigh the negatives? I don't think they do. I genuinely no. Think. no, I mean, we're we're hoping, you know, you say about not getting political, you know, we're hoping that, you know, if we give it a fair chance that things might sort, you know, get sorted out and it might be okay in future. But at the moment, there's definitely teething problems. I don't know if they are just teething problems. They might be problems that last a while, you know. But yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's a, it's a bit disappointing really when yeah. I suppose we've heard a lot about Brexit being good for British business and stuff like that. And, you know, so far... I don't think it has been, but hopefully in future all these issues will get sorted out and it will be. What's your drive behind reducing food waste? You said, and obviously your business model is formed uh, as such that you really help in terms of that in terms of that problem. So do you plan to expand even more in terms of that initiative? Yeah, in terms of getting more products and uh, more brands, more categories, absolutely. Yeah, we want to be a full-blown retailer food and drink retail but everything's surplus food we do do the odd bits and bobs that aren't surplus to be quite honest with you just to broaden our range and broaden our offering and sometimes it's a nice way to try something and then say oh that that product went well why don't we sit, try and get it in surplus now so it's about five percent of what we do that's not surplus at the moment but uh, yeah we, we want to do you know, as we grow as a business the more products we sell that means there's more surplus food that's being redistributed yeah and finding more people at the other end that want to mm. uh, shop with us as well. Because at the moment, we've got that kind of appeal with, you know, people who are active, but we want to expand that definitely to other people. Mm. What about competitors? How is the field of e-commerce surplus food selling at the moment? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more competition now than when we started. James mentions Facebook ads. Back then, it was, this is early 2018, and there's less competition on Facebook ads on the platform. It was a lot cheaper per customer. Now, especially with COVID, actually, there's just so many more e-commerce business that have started. Lots of the protein-like boxes tend to be really, there's so many like postage subscription companies for protein bars. I wouldn't say they're direct competitors, but I mean, there's some the places where you can buy similar product stores, so I suppose they are, only we're just cheaper. Um, and being cheap, sometimes a risky uh, competitive um, advantage. But yeah, there is, there's companies, I think on the high street for definite, like value chains like B&M and Home Bargains, you can sometimes get um, really good deals there. 
But yeah, but there, there isn't a company that's exactly the same as us, like Food Circle 2.0 with a different name, where they're really like fierce competition. At the moment, there might be in the future. Yeah, I mean, there's. we've just mentioned earlier, our last guest on our podcast that's coming out soon, Approved Food, we interviewed the, the owner. And they're, they're very similar to us in that they take surplus and problem stock and they sell it online. So I suppose you could you could look at that as, but I, you know, it's very much it's very much friendly competition. You know, we're quite yeah, yeah. we're quite uh, close. You know, as as businesses, but we we do have that collaboration element as well because I think there's, to be honest, you know, there's a lot of stock out there that becomes surplus and and there's enough to go around really. There should be enough customers as well. Yeah, yeah, funny. I think so. I mean, you know, we. You know, we we advertise uh, online and stuff like that, and we're we're always getting new customers all the time. You know, we've got a quite a loyal repeat customer base, so we're just always adding to that. So yeah, there's lots of lots of people out there that are always kind of getting to know about us, and actually, it's a good thing for the food industry, I think, as well, because it's spreading the word about reducing food waste, the impact on the environment, and doing something positive with surplus food as well. Mm. I agree. I'm very passionate about food waste specifically, so always supporting more businesses like that. Do you model your processes of food food circle supermarket after any company? And do you have a role model in terms of a company or even personally for you, a role model as an entrepreneur? Role model as an entrepreneur, for definite. I mentioned, uh, we've mentioned Gary V is amazing. Airbnb store is incredible. You know, there's, there's so many places you can draw inspiration, motivation from when you when you get into entrepreneurship and stuff. Uh, in terms of a, a business we based a model on, I wouldn't say so. I mean, probably we always say we want to be the Ocado surplus food. We're, we're obviously nowhere near that, and Ocado are capable of doing same day delivery, which we can't yet. But it's, it's you know that e-commerce platform where you can buy loads of different things. Yeah, and so we sort of took inspiration from Company Shop as well, obviously. They're not an online business, but, you know, that sort of industry. And then with the really modern e-commerce setup, which is dead dead easy, you can get quick delivery. And, yeah, just like a seamless um, shopping experience rather than a clunky, you know, painful e-commerce experience. And you're constantly getting bombarded with pop-ups and all that sort of thing. So not really a specific role model in terms of the process of the company, but loads of different inspirations for sure. Yeah. I think, I think like you, Denislav, we listen to mm-hmm. a lot of podcasts and watch a lot of you know, YouTube videos and stuff like that. And I think you pick up little bits of inspiration yeah. from any, everywhere. And actually, we, we look at lots of different businesses, not necessarily in our industry, but if we've got an idea for something and we think, how, how do we want to do that? You know, like our, our homepage, our image that's on there as soon as you go on the slider, that was just looking around the internet and seeing what do other e-commerce mm. companies do. Let's try and kind of make our own version of that, really. So you kind of draw bits and bobs of inspiration from from here, there, yeah. and everywhere, really, just by trying to come up with ideas and and just trying to trying to sort of not copy but take inspiration from the best the best out there, mm. really. Did you design your website uh, by yourselves? We did our first website. We did, yeah, and it was absolutely dreadful, and it broke about five months in. So, yeah, we, we've been that idea, but we've got a Shopify website, which anyone that's into e-commerce will, will know about. And, and if you haven't heard of it and you want to start an e-commerce business, then I highly, highly recommend it. So yeah, we designed, we didn't, you know, engineer it and build it, but we did all the, you know, the the fancy bits and the the way it's laid out and the colors yep. and all that sort of stuff. You're able to do that quite easily. Yep. So yeah, it's. Yeah, but it's pretty much it's sort of like an out of the box thing that you can personalize, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically good. But I'm asking because you should visit my website just to see how much I suck at you know stylistically forming my website. It's really bad, and I really struggle to be fair because I use Wix, and you know everyone yeah. says Wix is very easy, drag and drop, and, and and all that stuff. But I think I just don't have the eye for it. You know what I mean? It is very easy. Yeah, yeah I agree. But just go to my website. You know, I, th- I think that the information I provided is uh, is is good, but just stylistically, it looks so bad. And I, I'm what actually it? having, it's shiftvalley.co.uk. Okay. I, th- I think it might be one of those things where if you do enough of it, you'll you'll train yourself to be a lot better. But it depends It depends if you're interested in it and if you want to go down that road or whether you just want somebody else to do it and just, just leave yeah, it. Man. Yeah, to be fair, not at all. Not interested in web, in, in web design. 
So I yeah. didn't, I've nearly convinced my girlfriend to help me with it. So hopefully, hopefully she can make it look a little bit better. Because in the end of the day, you're right. Like the way a website looks, it's very important. Because you know, when you when you have a customer go to your website, and if it's a bad uh, user experience, they're they're not going to buy, even if it's a good price. They're not going to stay on the website and they're going to buy less. Even if they buy because of the price or whatever, they're not going to have that positive customer experience when they go. So I completely agree with you. And your website does look really good, by the way. You're you're correct. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I think you've got to look, you've got to almost look bigger and more polished than you actually are in many ways. You've got to look, because that's, that's your reputation, really. You, if you if you look kind of, I don't know, not not trustworthy, I suppose, then, then yeah. that might put people off. Yeah, that is- I think... A Wix is always tricky, to be honest with you. It's not, it's limited, you know what I mean? It's, it's, our Shopify is really good for e-commerce. I'm not sure if I'd recommend it. I don't know if it'd be the platform for you because you, you really, it, it is like, I don't know actually, we'll have to look into it. But I think you naturally, I think there is such a thing as naturally having an eye for what colors work and stuff yeah. like that. And But the best way to train yourself to do that is to what James said, go and look on a website that you really like and just look at what they do you know, like embossed lettering or with um, lettering with like a shadow like yours there. Yeah. That'd be great if that'd be even better if it had like a white background behind the yellow text so it stands out or black background behind it. So it's just little things like that. It's like, it doesn't need changing much. And then you just get like a a natural eye for colors that work together and things that just, you know, it's just gonna really look, you know, appealing. It just takes time and, you know, just looking into other companies that do it and just yeah, copying them. <laughs> Taking best practices. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at some of our early kind of print uh, marketing material, we look back on it now, we actually keep some of it just to look back on and it's now it looks awful to us, but I mean, the stuff that we're doing now probably will look awful in a year's time, I would imagine. Mm. But it's just that we're always tweaking it and always thinking, oh, that looks a bit better. Let's do it like that this time for our next print run or whatever it might be. Uh, and it's the same with your website. If you just iterate and keep tweaking it and keep changing it, you'll you'll find something that you're happy with, I think, eventually. Or or just get somebody else to yeah. do it who's kind of an expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was looking on our website a couple of weeks ago and that, just we've had the same like sliders and stuff. And I thought I'm just getting bored of this now. We need, I think we need to let's see what everyone else is doing. So I went on Gymshark's homepage. I just looked at what they're doing and thought, you know, it looks great. They've got like different uh, tiles and stuff with really nice high res images on there, rather than just the one slider we've got. Maybe we should change it to have like five pictures on there. Where, but you know, it's about optimizing it for mobile and this sort of stuff. But yeah, it's just taking inspiration from. Really good companies. How did COVID affect food service supermarket? Well, it's in two ways. At first, it so we we rocketed really in terms of our growth. So people come, more people shopping with us. Lots of bulky orders when people were uh, worried about what's going to happen. We were getting loads of like hundred pound orders. Usually, it's about thirty quid. Yeah. Lots of stock from like March to October, and then once the brands realised what's going on they started to tone back with stock and the stock sort of leveled out a bit and we started getting a bit less but now it's sort of got to a a medium where it's pretty consistent and we just we've scaled up as well like we've recruited people to manage it was we were we were like crazy busy from march up until you know september october yeah it's just maybe out of control yeah, I think, you know, obviously people were at home shopping online a lot more. Like Paul said, people were worried about what they could actually get hold of in retailers because supplies were, were short. So I think it did lead to a, a big increase for us and we had a big sort of rise and it's kind of leveled off a little bit but stayed busy to the point where we've been able to scale up the business, expand mm-hmm. our team, move to a bigger premises and all that sort of thing. And it is, we were talking with Andy from Approved Food about this yesterday because he's had the same experience where because there's so many businesses kind of struggling at the minute, you do have that kind of feeling of a little bit of kind of guilt. But I guess that we've not, we've not kind of set out to take advantage of COVID. It's just kind of helped us. It's kind of pushed things along a bit quicker than we thought it would. So yeah, we've, we've, we've grown quite a bit and it has, it has kind of helped us in a way. We don't, you know, we obviously wish it had not happened and we, you know, we don't, we don't sort of celebrate the fact that COVID came along, but it has taken us 
taken us further along kind of quicker than than we thought. And it did, like Paul said, you know, it caught us out really in many ways. So it's been really positive, but actually it's got to a point where we're as individuals, we're kind of at breaking point. You know, we did hire someone sort of back end of last year and that took a bit of the pressure off, but now it's kind of still, there's a lot of pressure on us to do pretty much everything in the business. So we're just now at the stage where we're catching up with ourselves and starting to scale up the rest of the business so that it can kind of cope with it without everything resting on our shoulders because uh, we've not really been able to have any sort of time off uh, not that there's anything that you can do or anywhere you can go at the minute but yeah sort of allowing us to take a step back and be more strategic that's the that's the focus now really mm. it's like we're uh, we're one and a half two million pound business now and still just three of us up until next week and the week after we're getting four more people so it's taken that long for us to start scaling and we were five minutes late to this podcast because we were down there helping out packing and bringing in delivery of protein shakes <laughs> so i just you know what i mean it's just it gets it gets to the point where it gets a bit out of control and you think we've got we've got to take people on because yeah. the business just isn't going to grow if you hold on to not hiring people and it affects your mental health you're doing too much you're getting majorly stressed out about stuff so yeah we had to when we came into this year, like we started hiring people and uh, getting that sorted, but but yeah, it's obviously a good thing. People have been like, "Oh, you should be loving it. What's up with you?" But it's once you're in it, and if your business starts growing out of control, you know it's really hard. It's like I've always said, it's like boiling some, you know, boiling some water in a pan on the stove, and the lid's coming off, and it's coming right to the boil, and you're trying to keep the lid on. Yeah. That's a bit what what it's like when it starts to get um, you start growing really quickly and trying to manage it. But you know. You have to maintain perspective, obviously. I mean, in the same time, I wish you that all of your business problems in the future are that you can't contain the growth. Because if, if that's all the problems you have, yeah. you have a you, you have a good time with Full Circle Supermarket. So I'm sure it's <laughs> stressful, but in the same time, you got to grow, right? And so yeah. in regards to that, what are your plans for 2021? Yeah, well, you, you're absolutely right. We, you know, it's not to be ungrateful about our growth because we are really grateful for it. It's just kind of that shock to the system of like yeah. we've got to, we we're, we're doing you know probably the jobs of twice as many people as we've actually got here and stuff like that, mm. um, which you know causes stress and and all that sort sure. of thing. But it's about taking steps to get it sorted. But yeah, in terms of our plans for 2021, we're kind of like I said before, catching up on ourselves, scaling up our team so that we can manage like the next, well, not even the next stage of growth, just so we can catch up to where we are now, really. Yeah. But then the plan from there really is to continue working with more brands, expand into other categories like we've touched on before so that we can appeal to an even broader audience. So uh, there's quite a few things in the works at the moment with regards to new brands that we want to work with that will kind of not, not massively change our offering, but just alter it slightly. I sort of see it a bit like a snowball, really you got a snowball and you just keep adding a little bit more snow to it in terms of the customer base. You know, you get products in that will appeal to a slightly different set of people and you, your snowball kind of expands a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more as you add more onto it. So yeah, the plan is to, like Paul said, you know, the long-term plan is to be a full blown surplus food supermarket with where you can go and pretty much buy, you know, a lot of the things that you would buy at a normal supermarket, but the, the steps to get there are kind of, baby steps really and not just saying well tomorrow we're going to start you know selling chocolate bars because we want to it's kind of what products might overlap with customers that we've got now and customers that we want to get and then keep building it out that way so yeah i hope that answers your question but that's that's kind of the that's kind of the the broad picture of where we're at paul do you want to add something to that or shall we move to the five questions that i ask all of my guests no, James absolutely nailed it. I'm looking forward to it. I've not read these. I didn't want to read them because I wanted them to be a surprise. I prefer that. So, I've read them and uh, thought about it quite a lot. So that just shows the difference <laughs> between us. <laughs> Again. So tell me, tell me each one book that you think every entrepreneur or future founder should read. Shall, we, shall I go first with them and then you go? So I don't, I'm not really a big reader, to be quite honest with you. It's, it's not how I learn. Again, I hope there's other people like this listening. I know what I mean. So I, I just haven't got the attention span for it. But I would, on the flip side, I watch a lot of videos and listen to loads of podcasts. So I, I love that. So I would recommend people listen, watch Gary Vaynerchuk, 
his his one of his best talks was at something called Complex Con, which was I think it was 2018. It's amazing. It's like an hour one of his. It's an hour long one of his uh, talks. It's just brilliant. It's just like it's sort of like brutally honest with going into business and people who should go into business and what to expect and the realities of it. And it's just no, there's no like fluff or anything. So yeah, I highly recommend that. And also listening to the How I Built This podcast, which interviews, I'm sure you've heard of it, it interviews people that have started business, Richard Branson, John Mackey from Whole Foods, Joe Gebbia from Airbnb, Casey Neistat, the YouTube sensation. And it talks about, it just interviews them about day one to how they built the business. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. There is a How I Built This book as well. So that, is that? that can, oh, help, yeah, of course that can help you to answer the question. Signed about, by Guy Raz as well. About, about which uh, book to book to pick up. Yeah, for me, I, I don't read that many like entrepreneurship books, to be honest, but I did quite a few years ago now. It's kind of love him or hate him. You know, I read Alan Sugar's book and that that was quite kind of inspirational in a way and illuminating. He's obviously a bit like Marmite and not everybody likes him. But one thing I found fascinating about him is kind of his attitude to risk taking, which is really interesting. So he was the chairman of Tottenham at the time when Sky sort of came into into play in football and, and got the rights for the Premier League. And obviously at that time he was running Amstrad as well. And he committed to basically making all the Sky dishes because Sky were expecting a big uplift in kind of subscriptions and stuff like that. And he, he admitted in the book he didn't have a clue how he was going to do it, but he just committed to it. And that kind of shone a light on kind of not being reckless and not being stupid, but taking risks to move your business forward, really, in a calculated way, for me, anyway. So I'd, I'd definitely recommend it, whatever you think of him. You know, he's very straight to the point. Mm. I've also got Richard Branson's book, which I've not read all of yet. Um, <laughs> but So I don't, I don't know if I can recommend that yet, but I, I would say... Um, <laughs> Probably not if you haven't bothered to read it all. Yeah, I would say I'd say Alan Sugar's book, and there's another book about which is helpful for me called it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Uh, I don't know if we can swear on this, but you might be able to bleep it out. It's by a guy called Mark Manson, and it, that's kind of about it's not about business, but it's more about having that attitude of not worrying too much about what people think of you and yep. living your life anyway uh, and getting on with it. Yeah. And I think that's important in business because you've got to have quite a thick skin uh, and you've got to deal with problems and remain kind of solid, if you like, and have a solid mentality. So mm. I'd recommend that as well. Too too many people don't start businesses because they're worried about what people are going to think of them. Loads of people and they're more bothered about paying 400 quid a month for their car to look good than, you know, having a rubbish car so they can um, live on less money so they can start a business so to make them, you know, too many people don't do it. So that sounds like a really good book, James. I might try the audio book for that, actually. It is a good book, but I don't think you need it because I don't think you care much about what people think of you anyway. <laughs> no, no, but I'd, I'd still, I might listen to that. Sounds good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I'd recommend. Thank you. Do you still read uh, history books on a regular basis? You know what? I do, I do try to sometimes. I read a good one that Paul's dad lent me recently, actually, <laughs> about a guy in a, uh, a Soviet gulag, which is quite interesting. A fictional story, but kind of based on, on reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I do. I'm still interested in history. Obviously, don't get as much time to sort of dedicate to it as I yeah. did at yeah. uni when I absolutely loved it. But yeah, I do I do try and try and read historical books when I can, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I studied, I was uh, in Bulgaria studying in a high school, which was primarily focused on history, ancient cultures, languages. And so even even now, you know, when I'm doing completely opposite things, different things, and even in uni, I didn't, I didn't do history. And still, I just have that, uh, have that urge to read about history, you know. So I just wanted to see whether it's the same with you. Because I feel that when you're interested in history, you will always have the, have the, how to say it? You're always wanting to, wanting to read more and to learn more. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, what I do love actually. I've got quite a few books that are kind of more like they're not for reading cover to cover, but they're more like coffee table books. I've got a few that are kind of like either fo- photographs or posters or things like that. I'm really interested in like Cold War history, or at least yeah. I, I was I was at uni and I still I still am, but I used to obviously study it in a lot more detail then. And like, there's a book called Posters of the Cold War, which is really cool. You know, you look at the propaganda from each side of the Iron Curtain, if you like, and 
I've got a book on East Berlin or East Germany during the German, Demo- German Democratic Republic and photographs of how they sort of developed East Berlin and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I do like I do like a bit of social history of looking at like places and propaganda that people used to um, be fed with and stuff like that. So yeah, I do I do like to dabble in in that kind of stuff as well. So why the name Food Circle Supermarket? So we tried to um, incorporate, we wanted people to know that straight away you can buy food from us. Uh, we also wanted people to know that it's got an environmental twist on it. So we're thinking loads of things like, that's why the supermarket came in and obviously the food, but we were thinking like Earth Circle, Circle Earth, we're just thinking of environmental names. Uh, and then stick and super <laughs> stick and supermarket on the end. It was a struggle actually to come yeah, up with it. Yeah, it took ages to come up with it. And um, it took ages. Yeah, I think I think the supermarket bit was partly due to other businesses having sort of trademarks and stuff like that as well. But mm. yeah, I think we wanted to get across we wanted it to be obvious to people straight away what we were all about, but also also incorporate that environmental uh message into it as well, because it's all about the circular economy, closing that kind of loop of food might otherwise go off to waste, whereas we close it by making sure it reaches people, which is what it's intended to do. Mm. And also the, the O's in our logo in food, are like sort of, it's like the infinity sign, like the recycling um, re, to, to represent kind of recycling and closing that, that loop, if you like, and sustainability as well. Yeah. It needed double O in it. That's why we got food <laughs> to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, food circle supermarket. I think it's quite a good name, actually. I, I, it sort of works. I like it. Yeah, there's, there's, we've had advisors and stuff in the past that have told us to change it completely, but we we did a poll with our customers lately because we redesigned our logo, and we gave them the option. Well, they gave them the, the, the say kind of over whether we keep the supermarket bit of it because it's yeah. quite long-winded and it's a bit of a mouthful sometimes, but they they voted like overall that they liked it and they wanted us to keep it, so... We, you know, we live and die by our, what our customers think of us. So we, we kept, we stuck with it. So can we eat one place in Sheffield that everyone should visit? I'll let you go first. Uh, the Olive Restaurant, Ecclesall Road. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. I uh, uh, proposed to my now fiance there. I thought we need to find, or we're going to go for a meal. It was like a complete surprise. So I need to find the best restaurant in Sheffield. And that was like number one on TripAdvisor. It's unreal. Yeah. It's what do you What so do you eat nice. there? What that night? No. What What What's on the menu? What sort it's, of food? I think it's it? like it's like Mediterranean. Right? You have like you can have steak there as well. Loads of different stuff. Mashed potato is amazing. It's like they do truffle mashed potato. It's so nice. Ooh. But it's not like like a swish fancy place. But it's like, it's up in Hunters Bar area of Eccleshall Road. But yeah, honestly, it's amazing. And it's like a waiting. You know, a restaurant's good when you ring up and they go, "We're booked out until next month." Yeah, yeah it's it's incredible. Yeah. Well, this shows you that we've not spoken about our respective answers before doing this, because I'm going to say a restaurant that's also on Ecky Road as well. It's called Mowgli or Mowgli. Is that the one with the swings in it? Yeah. Indian street food. So if you're into, if you're into Indian food, I'd definitely recommend it. It's different to your normal kind of Indian restaurant. Try and make it like street. It's almost like Indian tapas, if you like, but the, the quality is absolutely superb. So oh, I definitely good, recommend yeah. that. It looks amazing that place. I'm never, I didn't know it was an Indian. Yeah, the ambience and the the vibe of it as well is is really nice. And you, you sort of some of the tables are either in like these booths or you sit on these like swings yeah. almost, uh, like Paul yeah. said. So yeah, I've I've been to the one in in Birmingham, uh, and obviously there's one in Sheffield as well. And it's it's just yeah, really good food if you're into Indian. So definitely recommend it. And Jungle Book. Yeah. Yeah. So my next question is about. A potential scenario in which you have 15 minutes with your 20-year-old selves. What would you tell them? You have 15 minutes with your 20-year-old self? <coughs> well, James is closer to 20 than I am. so <laughs> Fred, Fred, Not by much. When I was 20, what was I doing? I think I was... I'd just, I'd just say, just carry on. I wouldn't have done anything. I, wouldn't, I don't look back and think I'd do anything different. I'd say, keep doing what you're doing and you'll... Because I remember when I was 20, I think I was working in school trends when I was 20, or I just left or just started uh, college. Yeah, I'd say just keep, just, just, yeah, just keep going. You know, I don't regret anything, good or bad, to be quite honest. I don't think, I don't think it's worth regretting anything in life, to be honest. I was going to say, yeah, I would, I wouldn't really change anything, to be honest with you, you know. So yeah, just keep, just keep uh, doing the path that you're on. That's what I'd say. 
I think I would say to myself, because I think around 20, obviously, I was coming towards the end of uni, and I, I said earlier, kind of got into a bit of a, a sulk around what I might do afterwards and stuff like that, not really knowing what path I was going on. So I think I'd I think I'd tell myself to not worry so much about it, you know, because I did worry at the time of what am I going to do in life. And, you know, I think, you know, it's working out okay so far. You know, I'm quite pleased with where I'm at. But I'd also I'd tell myself to take, take advantage of more opportunities, I think. You know, it's not that I regret things or anything like that, but I just think the opportunities I have taken have turned out turned out pretty well, like, you know, going into business and stuff like that. And I don't regret any of it. So I think I would say have a bit more confidence in yourself if you can. And yeah, don't 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 worry so much about stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff quite as much. Uh, and take the opportunities that you can as they come up and don't worry about the potential downsides. Look at the look at the opportunities. Yeah, my, my answer sounds dead arrogant now, doesn't it? People are going to be thinking, God, what a dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, like, I had a bit of, you know, a few mental health kind of issues, nothing major, but around that age, I think that helped, maybe held me back a little bit socially and, and things like that. So I think if I could tell myself to get that sorted out and kind of improve my confidence and self-esteem and kind of take more opportunities, I think that's that's the one thing that I'd probably go back and change. Yeah, when I when I was twenty, I was mainly focused on on drinking and going out and stuff, and I, I wouldn't change that. I think you, I think you're doing to make the most of that when you're young. People think when you're nineteen, twenty, you need to have your life sorted out, and it's just not true at all. It's absolute nonsense. Which obviously sounds like what you were thinking at that age. Thinking you've got to yeah, I think so. Out. Yeah, I think rubbish? so. I think because, like I said earlier, I didn't do a degree that kind of immediately funneled me into an industry or a particular job. I think I thought, oh, I need to. I need to solve the eternal question of what what yeah. what what do I do in my life? But I think since then I've realised that you don't have to decide age twenty one or twenty or whatever what you want to do with your life. You can you can radically kind of change course at any point, really. And you know what you're doing when you're twenty one probably won't be what you're doing when you're even thirty. Never mind fifty or yeah. sixty or whatever. So mm. yeah, I think you know it's having that perspective really around you know we're running this business at the moment and it's all great but you know there might be a day where you know, we move on to something else and yeah. have a go at something new and that's that's absolutely fine it's not it doesn't have to be one thing for life and that's all you do yeah we were i'm not going to mention his name or anything but obviously but we were interviewing a young lad a few where uh, a few months ago and he was like kind of he was like late teens and he said i didn't i don't know whether to get a mortgage or go to australia new zealand for two years we were like, you're crazy. Like, why, why would you get a mortgage? He's like, and he was like, oh, we, you know, I feel like we've got to have all that sorted now. It's just like, it's the problem. It's just, yeah. And this, this is my problem with school as well. In the way is that it makes you, it drums that into kids really, and you know, having their career path set out and getting your job and getting into work straight away is just, and knowing what you want to do. Yeah, and um, there's, no, there's not just nonsense. There's not much focus on business actually. No, either. there's no focus on business. Like, at all. I think I think I had the option to do GCSE business studies, but I think like two or three people did it every year. Like, it wasn't like a main mainstream kind of option for people. And then I did do it at A levels and really enjoyed it. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think um, people are encouraged maybe to take that risk and go into business. I did uh, business at A levels and dropped it because I did awful. Mm. So. If you don't like business studies, don't worry. You might you, know, you might still end up running the business. Having yeah. a knack for it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. My last question is for both of you to tell me with one sentence, one big, hairy, audacious goal for a food circle supermarket. One big, audacious goal. Did you say yes. hairy as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a term which is used by Jim Collins. It's his book, Good to Great. And it's, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, basically, uh, you know, a 10x goal. Yeah, well, we've got we've got hairy covered because Paul's grown his hair and I've yeah. I've got a bit of a beard going on, so we've got that covered. Yeah. Um, do you want to start, me? I would say to be one of the biggest retailers in the UK, e-commerce retailers within ten years. Yeah. Oh, it's difficult to follow that now. Come on, <laughs> come on. That's that's very very good. Yeah. No, I would say I agree. Like that is definitely one. But yeah, I'd say the other side of it is. I can't put a number on it, but just to stop as much problem stock going to waste and food going to waste as we possibly can. Yeah. You know, it's a goal. You're supposed to quantify it with a number, aren't you? Which I'm not sure. Like, yeah. if I want to put a number of tons on it or something like that, maybe I should. A million, three million. Maybe I should. Yeah, you don't. Million. 
yeah, we've got a problem as a society if there's 10 million tons out there. But let's say let's say 50,000 tons. I don't know. Like just a, a big number, a lot of food that we want to save and make sure it gets to people. I wish you to both of your those guys. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. You too. Brilliant. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you need any fitness food, you will look at Food Circle Supermarket as an option. Their prices are really good and their website is very easy to work with. As I said in the beginning of the episode, I have something important to say regarding Shiv Valley. You know that my focus with the podcast have been on Sheffield startups because I believe that a podcast of this sort can really be of value for them. However, since starting it, I've been contacted by a lot of interesting businesses that don't necessarily qualify for, for startups based on Steve Blank's definition, which is that a startup is an organization formed to search for a repeatable and scalable business model. While for now I wanted to speak only with founders of such businesses, I'm starting to wonder whether I should expand the scope of organizations that I talk with. There's many interesting businesses in Sheffield that are not startups on the, based on the definition, but their founders have great stories and would still benefit from having a platform. I'm putting a link to a short survey which I hope you can feel to help me understand whether that would be something you as listeners would like. As always, thank you very much for listening. Have a nice day and until next time.